Okay, come on in and please be seated for the, uh, the next talk. How awesome were these two, first two break, or these first two uh, sessions by Tony and Chris? Amazing. Um, now we will be led in uh, the next breakout session in how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Um, Bishop Father Gru Bishop Groose will be leading our next session. Um, I know uh, um, Bishop Groose is very active. He uh, knows how to golf. He knows how to fish. He knows how to hunt. He's coming down to Gregor next week to hunt, and he rides a Harley. So if you would all please be seated, we will welcome our 8th Bishop of the Diocese of Rapid City, Bishop Robert Groose. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I want to begin with a prayer. You know, this talk is really about paying attention to the Holy Spirit, but it's also, in some sense, like, who is the Holy Spirit? And what can the Spirit do for us? We want to begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill, our, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, come among us this day. Open our hearts to your living presence. May our hearts be inflamed anew with your life, with your love, with your mercy, with your power, and with your authority. Lead us to the heart of Jesus, whom he has, you know, he has sent you to be with us, to be among us, and to live and move through us. So we open our hearts this day, Lord, to your living presence and the power of your Holy Spirit through Christ our Lord. I think the question that we need to talk, answer for all of us, um, are we living the fullness of life in the Holy Spirit? Are you living the fullness of life in the Holy Spirit? You know, after that last talk, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not living the fullness of life in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus promised, he, he said, I came so that you may have life and have it in abundance. So that you may have life and have it to the full. No, that's John 10. So are we living this life in abundance? Are we living the life that Jesus guarantees us? that he guarantees us, or are we just managing our lives? You know, he didn't say, I came so that you may manage your life, right? How many of us are just merely trying to manage our lives? Huh? And so if we're trying to just manage our lives, we are not living this fullness of life in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not about managing. It's about being alive. It's about being inflamed with the love and the mercy of Jesus so that we might be his living presence in the world today. Huh? He guarantees this. And I think this life in abundance is at the heart of stewardship. 
It's at the heart of generous hospitality. It's at the heart of lively faith. It's at the heart of dedicated discipleship. We cannot live this life that Jesus calls us to without the Holy Spirit alive in us. It won't be possible. It won't be possible. You know, let me give you some difficulties and threats, I think, that keep us from living this life that the Lord wants us to. First of all is this secularism. You know, secularism in our culture today is the new religion of today. In other words, of looking at that, it's saying that God has been replaced as the center of the universe, right? That's what it is. In other words, I can manage very nicely on my own. And we may not think, well, that's not the way I think. But I would have to say, oftentimes, that's the way we live. Well, I can manage this by myself. Huh? I can manage it on my own, you know, except when I am desperate or I need something from God. Right? How often do we go to God just to praise and thank Him? Just to be with Him? Versus, where's the scale? Versus, how often do we go to God because we want something? Huh? Where's the balance of the scale? Am I in need? Am I in want? Or am I in love? Huh? But secularism tells us that God is no longer the center of the universe. He's been replaced by who? By us. Huh? Yeah, I, th I don't think this is a big mystery to us, but our society and culture is growing cold to religion. Right? And sometimes, even in our own lives, we're cold to this. We're, we're busy. Our lives are busy. And if we look at the culture, the sands are shape changing, shifting under our feet. And it, it might be very quite possible that the world our grandchildren live in will be one that's very different than today. There'll be a world, perhaps, where public profession of religious faith will become culturally taboo, if not outright illegal. Our culture is moving in that direction. No, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be fighting for religious freedom if that were not the case. Another threat is the nuns. It's not Sister Bridget or Sister Matilda. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S. So this is a category of people who do not associate with any faith denomination whatsoever. They could have been baptized Catholic and raised Catholic and now they're on their own and they don't associate with any faith denomination or any religion, period. 50% of baptized Catholics today who have left the church now identify themselves as nuns, as someone, as a member of this category. You know, Pope Benedict, he said, you know, I love this quote, he said, the, G the Jesus that makes everything okay for everybody, he said, is a phantom. It's a dream. It's not a real figure. The Jesus of the Gospel, the Jesus that the Catholic Church teaches and preaches, is by contrast demanding and bold. If Jesus was really accepting and tolerant of all things and toward all people, do you think he would have ended up murdered on the cross? Huh? But this is where our culture is today for many both those who are in the pews and those who are not in the pews, I have to say. And perhaps the biggest threat to Christianity today is what Monsignor um, um, Richter told us at PMD a couple of last year, the year before, he says, we've reduced Christianity to being a good person and doing the right thing. 
It's about being this, you know, Christianity is being a good person and doing the right thing. Huh? Being a good person and doing the right thing is against Christianity. It's not opposed to a lively Christian faith or a stewardship way of life. But friends, it's pathetically short, insufficient, it falls short. The duty to be a good person and to do the right thing doesn't come from faith. It comes from human nature. That's not a faith response to the world. The second threat to Christian faith is a person has, not, has been sacramentalized and not evangelized. You know, we have parishes full of people who have been sacramentalized and not evangelized. What do I mean by this? What I mean is a person who's practiced the faith, but their heart, their heart has not been evangelized yet. In other words, the people, they've received the sacraments. They've received the sacraments, but they are not on fire with the Holy Spirit. They are not on fire. They're pre-Easter or pre-Pentecost Catholics. Pray for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit on you as an individual and upon our, our, our life or on our communities, our diocese, every day. How many of you got up this morning and asked the Lord for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit on me today? We should put something on our mirror. Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit anew on me today. Anew today. That should be on our mirrors to remind us to remind us that our hearts need to be awakened every day. You know, and many and many in our parishes who are at Mass on Sundays fit this description of being, you know, sacramentalized but not evangelized. You know, this joy, the gratitude, the love, the mercy that Christianity is all about oftentimes are not in us. Sometimes we we're just merely satisfied with going to Mass on Sunday. And that's about it. What percentage of your parishioners in your parish are intentional disciples? What percentage of parishioners in your parents are fully engaged in the life of your parishes? You know? This was me. You know, when I got out on my own, Back when I was in my mid-twenties, I moved away from home, moved to Iowa, you know. Um, actually, when I left for college, you know, I had a choice of whether I wanted to attend Mass or not to do so on my own, right? I had this choice. This fits the description that's sacramentalized but not evangelized. When I was in my twenties, in my mid-twenties, early mid-twenties, I became a very lazy Catholic. What do I mean by that? The one who was just going through the motions. One who was going through the motions. I hadn't become a nun yet, you know, where I didn't, where I disaffiliated with any, with any faith. But I certainly wasn't living a life in the Holy Spirit. I was going to Mass on occasion. I was going to confession very rarely. I was going through the motions, and I certainly was not engaged in a life of faith. So I easily fit into this description of being evangelized or being sacramentalized. I received all the sacraments, 
But I wasn't evangelized. I was trying to be a good person and do the right thing. That's not Christianity. And I think where the biggest threat, this being sacramentalized and not evangelized, is in passing on the faith to the next generation. Your mom and dads who are practicing the faith with this kind of mentality, being a good person, doing the right thing, being sacramentalized but not evangelized, you know, they might be faithful on the level of a sacramental life. In other words, they might go to Mass every Sunday. But their faith isn't contagious. Their faith isn't attractive to the next generation, to their children. Is our faith attractive? Are we a contagion in the world today? Do people see in us and think, man, they have something I really want. That is what I've been looking for my whole life. Do they see that in us? Friends, if we are not alive in the Spirit, how can we be a contagion for others in the passing on this beautiful, this beautiful Catholic faith that we have? Faithful churchgoers are not evangelizing their children because they have not been evangelized themselves. In other words, the graces of baptism, the graces of confirmation, the graces poured out upon us in the Holy Eucharist are there, but they haven't come alive. They lie dormant, asleep, ready to be awakened, awakened to their full potential. Now think about this, you know, if someone's in a hospital for a long period of time, what happens to their muscles? They atrophy, right? Over time they become useless. All the strength is gone, right? What happens when we don't live a life in the Holy Spirit over time? We become complacent. And if we're not evangelized, only sacramentalized, what happens? Right? If, if our faith isn't, become, isn't a contagion in our own life, what happens? Over time, over time, we stop going. How many of you know people, Catholics, who have quit going to Mass? Their spiritual life is atrophied, right? What do we do about it? Well, I can't do anything. Isn't that what we say? Well, I can't do anything. I've, I've talked to them and they just reject all that, right? And so what do we do? What do we do? We give up. We give up because does the Holy Spirit ever give up? Does the Holy Spirit ever give up? If we are alive in the Holy Spirit, we will never give up. We will never give up, huh? And many times, you know, people see the Holy misunderstand what or who the Holy Spirit is. You know, I, I think many Catholics, few realize that we first received the gift of the Holy Spirit when? In baptism, do, our, do Catholics know that? Or do they think, well, confirmation is when we receive the Holy Spirit? I think that's, that's the mindset that, that people, that many of our Catholics, you know, that the Holy Spirit is given in confirmation. The Holy Spirit is given to us in baptism. Huh? And the Holy Spirit is actually living within each of us. I'm not sure many of us really believe that. The Holy Spirit is actually living in me. Huh? The Holy Spirit is actually living in you. The Spirit is given to you in baptism. 
It was confirmed in strength and in confirmation. The Holy Spirit is living in you in a way you can't imagine. His temple is in our body. That's why we should keep our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit, sinless and clean. So what is the Holy Spirit? Is it just something for us to think about? Is it this wild thing that we wish we had? Is it some spiritual bird that's flying around over us waiting to land on our shoulders? Is it just something for saints and holy people? How many of you think you're holy? Raise your hand. Wow, that's terrible. Friends, that's terrible. That's terrible. You are holy. You know? If you don't think you're holy, you need to think, you, you need to redefine holy. Someone needs to redefine holiness in your life. Huh? It's true. If we are been baptized, confirmed, we live in this Eucharistic life, the Holy Spirit is alive in us. If we're trying our best to be faithful disciples of Jesus, don't you think that's holy? Holy is, people have a mindset, holy means perfection. That is not true. How many of the saints were perfect? Name one saint that was perfect. Except Mary. She doesn't count in this conversation in that way. You know? How many of you think you're holy? Raise your hand. If you desire and love Jesus, there's holiness in that. Holiness is not about, it's, 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 it's not a concept. It's living in this intimacy and relationship with Jesus in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what holiness is. Yeah, are we perfectly holy like Mary? No. Are we perfectly holy like Jesus? No. But it doesn't mean we're not holy. You know? Don't diminish Christ in your life by saying, I'm not holy. The Holy Spirit is in you and you say you're not holy, you're diminishing that completely. Yes, we all can be holier. And we will be holier the more we live this life in the Holy Spirit. You know, the more we live in this promise of Jesus, what did Jesus say in John's Gospel? I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. What's an advocate? One who helps us, one who speaks on our behalf, right? To be with you always, the spirit of truth which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it. But you know it because it remains with you and will be in you, Jesus says. He also said, when the Advocate comes, I will send you from the Father the Spirit of Truth that proceeds from the Father. And he will testify to me. And Jesus also says, but I tell, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go. For if I do not go, the Advocate, this Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's been sent to you and to me. He said, everything that the Father has. Jesus said, everything that the Father has is mine. And for this reason, I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you or give it to you. This advocate is the Holy Spirit. It's not a what, but a who. The third person of the Holy Trinity 
to which each and every one of us have been invited into a relationship with this person. How many of you have a relationship with God the Father? How many of you have a relationship with Jesus the Son? How many of you have a deep, intimate relationship with the third person of the Holy, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? Oftentimes we kind of like, sometimes we skip the Father, we take Jesus and we forget about the Holy Spirit. But you know, we can't have a relationship with Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can't. Because the Holy Spirit is the fullness of love and unity between the God the Father and Jesus. You know, this deep intimate love between Father and Son, you know, Father's out there, this deep love you have for your Son, you know, it's beyond words sometimes, right? This deep intimate love between the Father and the Son, between the Father, the Father and Jesus has been poured out upon us. And so Paul says in Romans, he says, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured. Now, th this image, think about this image, has been poured. Think about a waterfall. It's been poured into our hearts. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. It's been poured. So do we feel or experience this love poured out upon us? Do I feel this love of God poured out upon me? I mean, how can we say no to this true love? But we do, perhaps not intentionally. You know, God is love. And John says, whoever is without love doesn't know God, for God is love. In this way, the love of God has been revealed to us. This way, in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we may have life through him. He said, in this love, is not that we have loved God, but that God has first loved us and sent Jesus as an expiation for our sins. So do we really know the love of God? I remember when I was going through this period of time in my life in the 20s where I was really lazy, a really lazy Catholic, um, and perhaps a borderline heretic, I'm not sure, but you know, my life was a mess. I was broke, unemployed, miserable, was not living a holy life, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. You know, if this is the way life, the rest of my, I was 25 at the time or so, 27. If this is the way the rest of my life is going to look like, you know, there's something drastically wrong with this. How could I be so miserable? I've always been kind of a reflective person. Uh, introverts are more reflective oftentimes than extroverts and so this introversion in my heart always leads me to reflect more and I begin to think about what, what's wrong here and so I begin to think about my life and what I discovered was that I was miserable not because I was broke you know not because I didn't have a job I was broke because I didn't have I didn't have God in my life I didn't have the sacramental life of the church in my life and so I began to think, you know, I've been told in every religion class, I think I've ever been in, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, right? Like, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? God loves me. What does that experience look like? What does that experience feel like? 
Right? I have no idea. So I began to pray every day. Because I, be, I thought, you know, this is the reason why I'm, I'm miserable. It's because I don't have this relationship. Whatever this relationship is, I don't have it. And I've been told God loves me. So I began to pray every day. Lord, you've told, I've been told you love me. In every class I've ever attended. I have no idea what that is. So Lord... Give me an, a lived experience of your personal, intimate love for me. Lord, give me an experience of your personal, intimate love for me. And at the time, I didn't know what this, what, what, I didn't know this, but what I was really praying for, because I had been baptized, confirmed, First Communion, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. But what I, re I realize now, what I was really praying for was, Lord, give me a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because God is love. The Holy Spirit is a love between Father and Son. Lord, give me a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what I was really praying for um, in, this, in praying for this lived experience. I was praying for a lived experience of the Holy Spirit. I was asking for a life in the Holy Spirit, not knowing it at the time, you know. I was asking the Holy Spirit to inflame my heart with the power of His love. That's what I was asking for. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now. And my whole life began to change. I didn't have some ecstatic experience, you know. I wasn't levitating, you know. I just wanted to get back to church. But as I continued to pray this prayer every day, I mean, I prayed it every day, you know. I began to see my life in a new way. I began to see my faith in a new way. I began to see the church in a new way. I began to see others in a new way. I began to see all of my relationships in a new way. <clears throat> I returned to the sacramental life of the church, and that led me to join a parish, actually. I got envelopes. I had arrived as a single person. I joined a parish. Got envelopes. It's sad to say the first welcome we get when we come to a parish is envelopes. What does that say about hospitality? But that was the reality. I didn't think about it in that sense back then. I do now. Um, and then I started getting involved in the parish. And the Lord began to stretch me. And He began to pull me, not, not invite me. He began to pull me out of my comfort zone as a disciple. Huh? But in all of that, I no longer question God's love for me because there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Nothing. God is love, plain and simple, and the love of God has been poured out up into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You know, Pope Francis, he says this, he says, you can follow a thousand catechism courses, a thousand spirituality courses, a thousand yoga or Zen courses, and all these things. He says, but none of this will be able to give you the freedom as a child of God. Only the Holy Spirit can prompt your hearts to say, Abba, Father, 
Only the Holy Spirit. You want to think about discerning the Spirit in your life? Only the Holy Spirit is capable of banishing, of breaking the hardness of heart and opens your heart to love. If we're living in the life of the Holy Spirit, we will love more. That's how we will know I'm, I'm alive in the Holy Spirit. I will begin to love more, to love more freely, to love more deeply. Hmm? Because the love of God that the Spirit brings to us changes us. It frees us. It satisfies every longing of the human heart. So if we have longings of the human heart, perhaps they're worldly and they, and they won't satisfy us. It's only the Holy Spirit can satisfy the deepest longings of the human hearts. You know, St. Francis prayed these words. He said, Oh God, when was the last time you prayed these words? Oh God, you are enough for me. Oh God, you are enough for me. Is this, is this our attitude? So when we experience the love of God through the Spirit, something changes in us. This is an encounter. Huh? The love is what gives purpose to our lives and meaning. It's what renews us and restores us. So if I wake up in the morning, I feel refreshed, not just get out a good night's sleep, because my heart is set, Holy Spirit, oh, come be poured out upon me anew today. And that sets the course of my day in ways I can't imagine, you know? But you know, as I began to experience this new life in the Holy Spirit, my prayer began to change. Because I was experiencing all love, God's love in personal ways in many ways, in many different, many different experiences. But the prayer began to change. So, from Lord, give me this lived experience of your love to Lord, tell me what you want me to do with the rest of my life. Tell me what you want me to do with the rest of my life. I don't care what it is, I will do it. I promise you, I will do it. That is living life in the Holy Spirit with freedom. It's a bold request, I have to tell you. It is a bold request. Lord, tell me what you want me to do with the rest of my life and I will do it. I don't care what it is. But there's great freedom in that. There's great freedom in that. huh? You know, John Paul II, he challenged us when he said, our Christian communities must become genuine schools of prayer where the meeting with Christ is expressed not just in imploring help, but in, also in thanksgiving and praise and adoration and contemplation, listening and ardent devotion until the heart truly falls in love. Until the heart truly falls in love. And so in all seriousness, have you fallen deeply in love with Jesus? It's an important question. It's a serious question. Have I fallen in love deeply, deeply in love with Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Ask him to lead you there. Because lively faith comes from a heart that's fallen in love with the Lord. Lively faith comes from a heart that's, that's been claimed by and awakened by the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit will liberate us from our narrowness and our self-absorption. 
we become more fully human when we let God, when we allow God, when we let God in the power of the love of the Spirit to bring us beyond ourselves and to order our lives and lead us to the fullness of the truth about who we are and about who God is in our lives, then we will choose to share that love with others through a life of stewardship and discipleship. We heard about that this morning. So tell Jesus, tell Jesus you want to fall in love with him. And even though we have, I mean, I ask him, Lord, fall, help me to fall more deeply in love with you today. Help me to fall. I love you beyond what I can put in expressive words, but I know there's more, right? Because you cannot put love in a box, you know? The love is the Holy Spirit. It, like it goes like the, where the wind blows. No one knows where it goes or how it goes, right? So discipleship and the stewardship happens in the heart. Hmm? I think it's clear in scripture that it's the heart that prays, not my mind or not, it's not my mind. Because this heart is the center of encounter with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to lead us into the mission fields as disciples, as his faithful servants. I mean, think about this. You know, as I began to pray and I prayed a lot of, you know, spent time in adoration, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, prayers became in a very foundational in my life, but I didn't wake up one day and decide in my mind that I was going to be a priest. That's not what happened. As I entered into this prayer with, in, in my heart with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, asking Jesus to tell me what, it, what it, he wanted me to do with the rest of my life, um, he revealed to me my own personal call to discipleship, my own personal mission. Huh? It wasn't in my mind. It wasn't in my mind, because to be honest, my mind was rejecting completely the notion of becoming a priest. I did not want to do that. I did not, was not going to choose that for my life. In fact, I ran away from it for 13 years, huh? Because. Answering the Lord's call doesn't happen in the mind. It happens in the heart that has fallen in love with Jesus. Thirteen years ago, I was before that, I was not in love with Jesus. I didn't even know Jesus, really. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I didn't even know the Holy Spirit. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Huh? So discipleship doesn't happen in the mind. It happens in a heart that's been claimed by the Holy Spirit, that's been claimed by Christ, that has fallen in love. Right? And it's a process that takes time. It took many yeses along the way, many acts of faith, many acts of trust in the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, if we are in love with Jesus, <laughs> If we are inflamed with his spirit, Jesus will get us to deny ourselves and do whatever he asks of us, right? Guys, right? When you fell in love with your wife, right? Your future spouse, when you fell in love, right? Something in your heart was changed, right? Your love was not up here, right? It was here, right? And now doesn't she get you to do anything she wants you to? Right? 
right? And I hope it's not out of obligation. I hope it's out of this generous love, right? St. Paul says, the love of Christ compels me, right? Parents love their children, and because of that, wouldn't you lay down your life for your kids? Right? Wouldn't you take the bullet for your kids? I would suspect you would, because you love them. Because that's what love does. When we're deeply in love, we will give our lives completely away. Right? You know, intentional discipleship and living in lively stewardship, it's a privileged way of life beyond any other. You know, I'm not sure people have reflected upon this. It's a privileged way of life. A privileged way of life. You know, being a Catholic, being a disciple of Jesus is a privileged way of life. Do we think about that? Being his disciple is a privileged way of life. A privileged way of life. And it requires living a life in the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit desires to lead us to new heights, to heights we've never imagined before. Right? I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to... God wants to ignite the fire of his divine love in the world today. But it won't be ignited. Jesus says, oh, Jesus, I have come and set the earth on fire. How I wish it were blazing. How I wish it were blazing. He wants to ignite the fire of divine love in the world. And this first has to happen in our own lives. Again, is our, are our hearts inflamed with Christ's love in the Holy Spirit. This is God's desire for each one of us. It's His desire, not our desire, it's His desire for us. You know? And I, I have to believe that many Catholics, well most Catholics, I mean 50% have left, so the largest single denomination of Catholics, or of, of Christians in the world are non-practicing Catholics. So I have to believe that most Catholics have not asked for or prayed for such a gift. Or they have not expected such a gift. Or they have not opened their hearts to such a gift. Again, when was the last time you prayed for this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? It should be daily. Every day we should pray this. Lord, pour out your love upon me in abundance today. I know I don't deserve it, but I believe in my heart of hearts, this is what you desire for me, and because it is your desire for me, I want it. Because it's your will and not mine. Huh? The Lord Jesus has already given the Spirit to us. But he is waiting for us to let him ignite the fire, which means we must want this fire to be ignited. It also means letting go of what I want and seeking what the Lord wants for me. But it won't happen unless our hearts are inflamed in the Holy Spirit, because what does the Holy Spirit bring to us? Freedom. Freedom to desire what God wants for us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Freedom. 
Lord, just tell me what you want me to do with the rest of my life. I don't care what it is, and I will do it. Huh? A bold prayer, but a free prayer. If it's prayed with intention and desire. You know, this is what I really want. Lord, I really want to know your will for my life. And if it's a, a complete change of course of action, I don't care, I'll do it. I was flying airplanes for a living. I'll do whatever you want me to. A complete change of course of my whole life. You know? I wouldn't be standing here before you today if I had not been praying that prayer. I promise you. I would be in a marriage. I hope it would be happy. I'd be, still be flying airplanes. I hope it would be a good job. I don't know. Who knows? But it wouldn't have been seeking the will of God. The Holy Spirit leads us to seeking actively the will of God in our lives. Huh? Think about this. Think about the apostles. Prior to the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. Think about, think about what their lives were about. Yeah, they followed him, right? Think about what you hear in the Gospels. I mean, couldn't they sometimes be a bit negative? The apostles, you know, the disciples, weren't they oftentimes a bit negative? Right? Aren't you going to do about something? They're preaching in your name. Do something about it. They're not supposed to be doing that. Or they're critical, right? Or they're cynical. Or they're power and prestige seeking. It's all in there. Right? Doesn't mean they didn't have this relationship, this, this, this deep relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that at all. But it meant their humanness and their brokenness got in the way. Huh? And they lived in fear. I mean, none of them except John was at the foot of the cross, right? John and Mary. Right? Where are the other ones? Where were they? They loved Jesus so much, where were they? In his most desperate moment, where were they? They were hiding in fear. Because they were afraid they're going to end up like this too. Huh? Does a disciple, real, a true disciple care if they end up like this? Many of them long for this. The martyrs did. But their whole lives change as a result of the Pentecost event. Their confirmation. The Pentecost event was their confirmation. They were confirmed in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. They received this power and authority of Jesus in a new way. Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not you might receive power, but there'll be a power available to you. He didn't say that. He said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you. In other words, when the Spirit comes alive in us, in you and me, we will have power. And we will get naturally give witness. If the Spirit is alive in us, we will naturally give witness. Because the Holy Spirit will have taken over our nature. Right? And this will be how we naturally live our life. You will be, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. This is why it is important to be praying that the Holy Spirit will ignite the faith that the Lord has given to us. 
I don't know that we think about this all that much, but the very power and authority that was given to the disciples in that upper room on, on Pentecost, the very same power and authority has been given to each and every one of you. It's different power and authority. It's not. It's the same. Do you believe you have it? Have you claimed it for your own? Or not for your own, but for Jesus? Have you claimed it? It's been given to you. It's been given to all of us. Imagine that. So the Spirit of Jesus has come upon each one of us through the sacraments of baptism, strengthen and confirmation, and continues to empower and transform us through the Holy Eucharist, if that's what we are seeking. If that is what we are seeking. If that is what we are seeking. If we're not seeking it, then it's going to continue to remain dormant to some degree. It might show itself now and then. You know, when the witness is easy, right? No, this is easy, you know, but when it's tough, you know. Pope Benedict said, you know, the world promises you comfort, right? But you, were made for great you weren't made for comfort. We heard this. I've heard you. I've said this many times. You were made for greatness. God has made each one of you for greatness, not mediocrity, but for greatness. So do we seek greatness in our lives or mediocrity? The way we seek greatness is to seek Christ and the power of, Holy, of His Holy Spirit every day. And if we're not seeking Jesus and His Holy Spirit every day, then we're seeking mediocrity and not greatness. You were made for greatness. You know, these gifts of the Holy Spirit you receive at confirmation, who can name them? Many of our Catholic adults cannot tell me the gifts of the Holy Spirit they received at confirmation. That not only saddens me, but it saddens Jesus. Because if we don't know what they are, how can we use them? Right? Does that make sense? If we don't know what they are, how can we use them? We won't use them if we don't know we have them. If we don't know what they are. If we don't know how, if we don't know how they benefit us. And they're not just meant to benefit us, they're meant to, to be used for the world. Huh? But that's the case we have to, that's, that's it today. You know? Because Jesus, in the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to take what is ordinary, right? What's ordinary. And he will make it extraordinary. He wants to take what is mediocre and he will turn it into greatness if we let him, if we desire it. You know? This... The gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, do you know what the fruits are? They allow us to become who we are called to be, the living presence of Jesus in the world today. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. I want to move to a couple of paragraphs from the Catechism regarding the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit's role in this mystery. In the spiritual dispensation or the, in the sacramental dispensation or the, the, the sacramental giving of Christ's mystery, the Holy Spirit prepares the church to encounter the Lord. 
By his transforming power, the Holy Spirit makes the mystery of Christ present here and now. And finally, the spirit of communion unites the church through the life and the mission of Christ. That's from the Catechism, number 1092. You know, the epiclesis during the Mass, you know what the epiclesis is? It's when the priest puts his hands over the gifts and calls down the Holy Spirit, right? Is the intercession in which the priest begs the Father to send the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier, so that these offerings... Not just the bread and wine on the, on the altar, but the offerings that we bring personally as well may become the body and blood of Christ and that the faithful by receiving them may themselves become this living, living offering to God. If I'm not living my life as a living offering to God, one, I'm not alive in the Holy Spirit and perhaps... Um, This Eucharist has not helped me to become that because that's not what where my mind is. You know, this epiclesis is also a prayer for the full effects of the assembly's communion with the mystery of Christ. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It has to remain with us and bear fruit beyond the Eucharistic celebration. So the church... <coughs> Therefore, ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to make the lives of the faithful to be a living sacrifice to God by our spiritual transformation into the image of Christ. That's what the Eucharist does. We're not, we don't come to get something, we come to be transformed. So if we're coming to Mass to get something, then you're coming for the wrong reasons. I'll have more to say that on my talk about the Eucharist later. But if we're coming to get something, then we're coming, our reasons for coming are deficient. Let me put it that way. It might not be the wrong reason. It's not the wrong reason. That's probably a bad way to put it. But, but our reasons for coming are deficient. The true reason we should be coming is to encounter the risen Lord Jesus in a, in, in a new way so that our lives might be transformed by the power of His Holy Spirit. To become, his more, to become more his living presence in the world. That's why we should be coming to Mass. Not to get something. Huh? So that we can then go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. And be his faithful witness. You know, Archbishop Fisichella, he's the head of the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization. He puts it this way. He said, faith today has become like smoldering cinders. Or embers. Right? Weakened by sin and secularism, he says. He said, it must be reawakened, fanned into flame. We must help Christians to encounter once again this Jesus, especially those who have left the church. But I also think those who are sitting in the pews like this. The posture communicates something. I'll talk about that later. Um, but in order for this to happen, each of us must be transformed by the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Our hearts must be awakened anew to this personal new Pentecost. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is in each one of us. He is. And he wants to come alive if he's not. And if he is, he wants to become more alive. Because we can't stifle, you know. We can't put him in a box. 
So when we are, when we're, when the Holy Spirit is alive in us, we will experience these things, I think, and more. But we'll, deep, we'll experience a deep, we'll have a deeper experience of God's love for us. And God will surprise us in ways we can't imagine, because we'll be open to seeing that. We'll be open to experience that. Second one, we'll experience peace. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And then he left, right? And he sent the Holy Spirit, right? God's peace will be present in our lives, regardless of what our lives look like. Regardless of the joy and happiness we experience or the pain and suffering that, we, that, that we're invited to experience. Peace will be with us. All the resentment in our lives will go away, begin to go away. You know, oftentimes, you know, we can be very cynical, right? We can be very critical of others, right? 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 We can. Is that the will of God? When we're alive in the Holy Spirit, these things are going to begin to go by the wayside. And this cynicism, this criticalness, this judgmentalism, this resentful, resentfulness is going to be transformed into love. So if you experience yourself loving in a new way, loving in a way you haven't loved before, the Spirit is alive in you, it's come alive in you. Right? Another thing is we'll have a greater understanding for what Jesus did for the world. But not just for the world, for me personally. If I'm alive in the Holy Spirit, I become more acutely aware of my sin. Right? No matter how little or seeming little it may seem, you know. Oftentimes we, well this is the way I am. And we diminish even the venial sins in our life. We don't take ownership of them because we don't see how they offended Jesus. If I'm alive in the Holy Spirit, I become more aware of what Jesus has done for me personally, which means I become more acutely aware of my own sin. There's a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit, which will, and it will increase my desire for this. Again, I grow in love and mercy, grow in desire to do the will of God. I'll get up in the morning, Lord, what is your will for me today? I want to do it. I want to do it. Huh? I'll grow in a desire to give it all away. To live life like this, not like this, as we saw earlier. And I'll experience the fruits of the greater expense of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. These are what they are, according to the traditions of the church. Charity, generosity, joy, gentleness, peace, Faithfulness, patience, modesty, kindness, self-control, goodness, and chastity. The 12 gifts of the, the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'll, be, I'll experience more of this. I'll see it more in my life. I'll have a greater desire to share and grow in a sense of mission or my own personal call. Growing in this, again, this desire to do the will of God. Okay. So I want to leave you with these words from Pope Francis. He said, it is the paraclete, the comforter, who grants us the courage to take to the streets of the, of the world bringing the gospel. The Holy Spirit makes us look to the horizon and drives us, drives us to the very outskirts of existence in order to proclaim life in Jesus Christ. He said, let us ask ourselves, do we tend to stay closed in on ourselves, on our group, 
or do we let the Holy Spirit open us to mission? Begin praying every day, Jesus, Jesus, I give you permission to love me. Jesus, I give you permission to breathe new life in me. When we start, that becomes a habitual attitude in prayer in our lives. Our lives will, be, become, will start to become dramatically different. And we ask the Virgin Mary to obtain also a renewed Pentecost for the church that will permeate in all of us the joy of living and witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, thank you and God bless you.